Ephesians chapter 4 is where you can be parked for a little while. Apostles' Creed, this is our, uh, our tenth installment, I believe. So we're in the part of the Creed where we're looking at two lines. We're looking at the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. The Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. So up until this part of the Creed, of course, you know, we've been describing and focused exclusively on God himself, which is, that's the important foundation for doctrine, right? I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We've been emphasizing who they are and what they do, and now we're saying, I also believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. So we're going to start to define that. We're going to start to understand what it means, what it looks like, the Holy Catholic Church. There's been a lot of question there. We had an asterisk um, on the word Catholic. So people are probably going, wait a second, is this? Well, there's an asterisk there, so maybe we'll get to that. So today we're finally getting to that, and we're going to explain what we mean, what we're saying. When we say Catholic Church, what is the communion of saints? Once again, I told you to go to Ephesians, and I didn't go with you. Okay, Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start reading verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, and practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught, to, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What? To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So as we look at our, the, the Apostles' Creed, again, we're reminded the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible. The Apostles' Creed, though, points to the Bible. It was a simple tool that was built by the early church fathers to say, we want to just clarify doctrine. We want to explain what is essential, what what, is, what are the things that all Christians need to agree on? Are there other freedoms beyond this? Are there other disagreements we can have? Absolutely. But are there some core tenets that we would say everybody needs to agree on these things? These are foundational. These are fundamental for the body of Christ. Absolutely. So this was instructional for new believers, but it's also a helpful resource for any believer to share the gospel. You say, I don't know what to tell somebody. You know, I, know to, I just know to say, like, God loves you. Well, the Apostles' Creed actually gives you a great framework to start to walk through, to start to explain to somebody, hey, there's God the Father. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel is laid out and made plain in the Apostles' Creed. So you can, you could even instruct someone with it. You could lose it, use it as a loose framework and you go, I'm not lost anymore. I have a tool. I have a resource to do that. But as we continue down, we get into uh, the later line where we say the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. We'll start with the word holy. The Holy Church, before we define what the the Holy Church is, what the Holy Catholic Church is, what the communion of saints is, let's understand what a holy church looks like. Holy means set apart and dedicated to God. That's a simple and good definition. So oftentimes we think holy, we think there's a halo, we think this person or this thing is flawless, it's never done anything wrong. The interesting thing is that under the blood of Jesus, we are made that way. God did set us apart. He did dedicate us to himself, and then we dedicate ourselves to him as well. We are made sacred. The Bible calls Christians saints. 
So we're called believers, we're called Christians, but we're called saints. Well, I'm no saint. You literally are a saint. Literally sacred, literally set apart. Jesus has washed your sins away. He made you a new creation. And because of that, you are holy. Holier than thou has often been used as an insult, right? People would say, oh, you're, you think you're holier than thou. But it is literally true for the people of God in comparison to those who aren't the people of God. Now, obviously, that's used whenever someone is probably uh, being trying to shame someone else and also making it look like, I don't need grace. So it's one thing to, to, to say that, you know, are, is a saint holier than a not saint? Obviously, yes. <laughs> I'm holier. Are you holier than you were before you came to Christ? Yes, of course you are. You weren't holy. Now you are holy. So it stands to reason that you're also holier than anyone else who's a non-believer. That's a true statement. But we're not emphasizing that from a point of pride. That truth, that revelation actually brings us to humility. It brings us to gratitude, and it brings us to joyfully share the good news, to go, hey, God can make you holy. You think you're holier than me? Well, well, technically, yes, but that's not the point. Like, I, I couldn't care about me being holier than you. It's that the Father has rescued me, and he also wants to rescue you. I was lost. I was doomed. I was ashamed. I was burdened. I was in sin. Are you saying I'm all that? Well, yeah, God says that, and this is the good news. You don't have to say that. So the gospel cuts through all that. So the important clarifier is that we didn't wash our own sins away. We didn't earn what we have. We don't deserve the status that we enjoy. But to be clear and honest, it is most definitely and certainly different from where we used to be. We're holier than we were and consequently holier than those who don't believe in Christ. But like I said, that fills us with humility. That fills us with gratitude instead of pride. There's no haughtiness. There's no, hmm, not at all. Instead we go, it's, the glory goes up. It goes to him. Are, are, am I thankful for my high position? Yeah, but I didn't give it to myself. I didn't climb to it. I didn't achieve it. I didn't get here. I said, I believe. And he goes, ha, you're seated with me in heavenly places. I'm going, wow. What do you call this? Grace. Love. Mercy. The, kind, the eternal kindness of God. Now, what should you do, my child? Well, I'll spread the word. I mean, everybody should be here. This is, this is what we were built for. This is what we were made for. This place, seated with him in heavenly places. This is what he intended for all humanity. And so believing that we are holy, believing that we're sacred, believing that we're set apart, it causes us to act differently. It causes us to live differently. I don't just think about holiness. I realize I, I believe that I'm holy. So believing that we are holy makes us want to act in accordance with this truth. And this is what we see laid out here in Ephesians where he's reminding holy Christians, set apart, sacred people, hey, put off the old man and put on the new man. Put off the old man and put on the new man. We, we gave the analogy before. We said it's as though the Lord is the one who washes us and scrubs us and cleans us. And now here we are sparkling clean. All the mud is washed off. And yet we have two sets of clothes still to pick from. I could still put on my filthy old clothes. And this is oftentimes what we as Christians do. I put on my old clothes and go, well, this is what I'm used to. And the Lord's going, put, take off the old clothes. You are new. That is the miracle of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God through the blood of Jesus. That's done and established. Put Now act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Act accordingly. You, you're acting outside of the character and the nature and character of God. This is why we sometimes get confused in our immaturity and our thinking. We go, wait, I just sinned. Am I a sinner? Well, in the strictest sense, technically, sure. You know, what do you call a person who sins? A, a sinner. What do you call a person who lies? A liar. What do you call a person who murders people? A murderer. And yet, that is not who you are. 
That is actually something that you did. Before you came to Christ, you are a sinner. Identity, that's who you are. Dead is who you are. When you come into Christ and now you commit sin, you're not instantly a sinner again. You, you committed a sin that has been washed and paid for by the blood of Jesus. We would still want to walk in repentance. We would still want to crucify the flesh. We still would want to reject our sin. But holiness, being holy, makes us want to be more holy. Being holy and set apart unto God, we want to set ourselves apart even to a greater degree. Why? Well, because the closer your fellowship with the Lord gets, the closer you want your fellowship with the Lord to get. You can't get closer to the Lord and be like, you know what? I'm not comfortable here. You know, this is actually something that I'm not, I'm not enjoying this. No, there's pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So to be close with him, to be in fellowship with him, it doesn't get sweeter. It doesn't get better unless, of course, I continue to throw off every weight, every hindrance, even things that might not be issues of sin. But is it slowing me down? Is it holding me back? I want to get closer to him. So I want to take off the old clothes and I want to put on the new. We are a holy church made holy by the blood of Jesus. Now, Catholic Church, the question, I've gotten this one multiple times. It's a good question. I asked my grandfather this when I was a kid. So uh, Pop was a Methodist pastor for many years. Uh, Methodist Church back in the day was not as it is today. I just always have to make that distinction and clarity. And certainly Pop was not. So anyway, now that I've got that disclaimer out of the way, I asked him one time when I was little, I said, Pop, why do we say Catholic why do we say the Catholic Church? And he laughed. He said, it's not the Catholic, it's not the Roman Catholic Church. It means the universal church. It means the whole body of Christ. It means the church all around the world. And that's the truth. And you say, well, why do we use the word Catholic? Well, because it was what was in the creed, okay? Um, some churches have modified it, just to, for, for clarification. Uh, just like some churches have modified when they say he descended into hell. But I wanted to take an older one and then teach you through it. As we use the creed in the, in the future, we, we might... Um, we might recite the creed more regularly than we have in the past, which is never until this series. But we might begin to do it more, and I'll probably make some, some modifications to a couple of words in there so we can clarify and not think, he descended into hell. And then anyone who hasn't heard it taught goes, was Jesus burning and suffering in flames? No. Um, the place of the dead. Uh, or the, 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 are we Roman Catholic? What does Catholic mean? Well, Catholic means universal church. So that's what that word Catholic means. It just means the Christians all over the world. So don't think Pope. Think people. That's what we're thinking about. The body of Christ is made up of all people who believe in Jesus for salvation. From the day of Pentecost up until this very moment, no matter your denomination, if you believe in Jesus and you're born again, you are in the Holy Catholic Church, the global church, the universal church. God has his people everywhere. Not all denominations believe that, but I'm telling you, God has his people in every denomination. God has his people everywhere. There's saints all over the place in every denomination, in every local church. You can find people who really love God and really believe in Jesus. And in every denomination, in every local church, you can find people who do not love God and do not believe in Jesus. On any given church, any given Sunday morning, that's a likely scenario. You likely have a majority that, that believe in God and love him, and you likely have a minority who, for, maybe, they're, maybe they're listening, maybe they're interested, maybe they're learning. Maybe you've got someone who's been there for decades with a hard heart and who still hasn't responded by faith to the gospel. But you've got all kinds of scenarios, but the universal church is filled with people who have genuine unity with God because they have, who have genuine unity with one another because they have genuine unity with God. All genuine believers, past and present, you are alive in Christ with them through him. 
1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So the Holy Spirit did not separate us as he was saving us. Okay, Christian, but, you know, there's different camps of Christian. The Holy Spirit didn't do it that way. There's one baptism. He didn't separate us when he baptized us into Christ. He didn't sift out Americans and then Southerners and then Pentecostals or Methodists or Roman Catholics or whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians. We were brought into one body with Christ as the head, and now we're all members. We're all parts of Jesus's body in the earth. This is a glorious truth. It's an important truth to recognize. Why? Why would, why would this have been put in the creed? To point out what the scripture points out. What point do they want to lift out from the word of God? That we're unified in Christ. That we really are one. That we're really not divided. Why? Well, because the church had temptation to divide from day one. You're, oh, who, who, who are you baptizing? Well, Paul baptized me. Oh, Apollos baptized me. Who baptized you? Oh, they were already starting to get into the cliques and into the camps. Instead of, Jesus is king. Yeah. The Holy Spirit baptized us into him. That's who we're in. Well, we believe this a little. Okay, those are secondary issues. Those are tertiary issues. Those are fortiary issues. <laughs> I don't know what the word is for the foreshiary one, but it seems appropriate. So what do we have as primary, though? Primary is we are all part of the holy universal church. Members of the universal church should seek fellowship in the local church. So let's get more specific now, because it's one thing to believe I'm a part of the, of the entire body of Christ, which is true. But here's where people make a mistake. People think, because I am a Christian... Because I am a part of the global body of Christ, I am the church alone. Because I'm a part of the church, I'm the church, well that's true, yes. But the creed actually takes a little bit of liberty here whenever it's saying we're part of the the Holy Catholic Church. It's a reminder that all believers are united, but it is not a minimization of what Scripture makes very plain. And that is what the church is. The church is the gathered body of believers. The word church literally means assembly. It literally means congregation. So, well, I'm the church all by myself. No, you're not. Well, I feel like I am, and still it isn't true. No matter what you would say about it, the word makes it very clear throughout the scriptures. So members of the universal church will always and should always seek fellowship in the local church. Church, the gathered people of God, the assembly, or the called out ones. We have multiple examples throughout the New Testament where the word church is used. In reference, in particular, I'll give you an example. In Romans 16, verse 5, Paul is closing his letter. He's giving different greetings to everyone. He says, greet also the church who meets in their house. So he says, say hey to Priscilla and Aquila for me. Greet the church that meets in their house. The church that meets in their house. The church is the congregation. This is why you can't do church on your own. Oh, I go to church online. You don't. Well, my pastor said so during the pandemic. I know he did. I know. There's lots of things that were said during the pandemic that a lot of people wish they could take back. But here we are now. Here we are today. You don't go to church online. The church is the gathered body of believers. Are you saying there's something wrong with that? Well, no. If you're on vacation, you want to listen to a sermon. Like, enjoy. However, don't. That word, I don't think it means what you think it means. You need to understand what you're saying when you're talking about things. We need to know what the church is and what the church isn't. So you mean, well, you say, I'm the church all by myself. Oh, you mean you read God's word and you pray on your own? Well, of course, that's good. But that's not the church, and that's not a replacement for the church. To say I do church at home is like saying I play football alone. 
That's not how football works. So yes, some pastors were the worst offenders when Caesar ordered the lockdowns, but language matters, and it has consequences, and it bears fruit. If we're going to do church online, words matter. There's consequences for that. A lot of churches are still experiencing the consequences. They did such a great job with the online church that we don't even go anymore. We just tune in online. You're tuning in online. Yeah, like just like everything else in America, I'm getting even more individualistic. Make my church all about me. How can the church serve me more? Oh, it's supposed to serve Jesus. Right. I keep forgetting that. But they, my church just, just does such a good job of, of making me comfortable. Just like I pull into my garage, I shut the garage door, and I don't have to speak to a neighbor. I can do the same thing with the church, right? It's, because the church is nothing more than Pastor Bob's sermon. You know, our worship team's awesome. They're awesome. And Pastor Bob is awesome. That's church. I had church. And you know what? For me, church is even different than that. Um, there's a song I hate. I, lay, I hate a lot of songs, but... Uh, I love music. I love country music, but I hate what I call country music Christianity. So it's these songs where they'll reference um, life, you know, life that I like, life that I enjoy, but then they'll somehow like connect it to the Lord. So I forget this girl's name, but it was a song years back. She said, that's my church. Um, and I forget the example she gave, but she was driving down the road and, in her car, listening to country radio. She goes, yeah, that's my church. Like, oh, Okay. So you got the guy who's like, yeah, fishing on the dock, thinking about the Lord. That's my church. No, it's not. You might be fellowshipping with the Lord while you're fishing, and I encourage it. Do it. But that's not your church. It's not. It can't be. Well, to me, it it feels spiritual. It feels like fellowship with the Lord. Good, brother, but it's not church. It's not the same thing. You're, You're not submitted under a pastor. You're not accountable to a body. Nobody knows you. You don't care for anybody else. You're not sacrificially laying down your life. But yeah, but that's my church. Well, it's not though. It's not. You sound American. It's gross. You don't sound biblical. So language matters. It has consequences and it bears fruit. We aren't a ha- we weren't a house church before. We're not a YMCA church now. And when we build a beautiful structure of our own, we won't be a building church then. We are the church. Why? Because we are a gathered body who identify as a church under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the gathered people of God, and that makes us the church. We are the called out ones. We are the assembly. We are the congregation. We are the body of Christ. This common misunderstanding does not serve the church. It feeds into the problem of believers not identifying with Christ and his people. Because church has just become something that I do or somewhere that I go instead of it being who I am. So when, when we say we, we're a part of the, the Holy Catholic Church, that phrase is referencing the global body. We're a part of all of that everywhere. However, the communion of saints line actually does a better job clarifying what we mean when we talk about the local expression of the body of Christ, which every saint should seek to be a part of. A saint outside of a body of Christ should feel a strong urge and should feel a strong desire. I feel separated from the body. I feel detached. It's an arm that's not connected. It's You're still an arm, though. Cheer up. No, an arm is meant for a body. An arm isn't meant to be all alone. If an arm's off of a body, something is very, very wrong. Something bad has happened. This is not how this was designed. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12.
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. We'll go through verse 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, so this is the analogy that the Holy Spirit chose to use when he's talking about the body of Christ. Like, we use that phrase all the time, the body of Christ. We've, we've totally absorbed the analogy at this point. We don't even think about it anymore. But he describes us as the human body. So people go, oh. But the first time reader, the first time here is going, okay, that's... I, Okay, that's how the Lord wants me to see this. We're connected. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So he's saying, you know how the body works. And everybody's going, yeah, we're familiar with our bodies. He goes, well, that's how it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member or of one body part, But many, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Notice how even if it says that about itself, well, this is my church, that doesn't make it true. (laughs) So Paul's Paul's siding with me here, or rather I'm siding with Paul and the Holy Spirit. That That would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our un- unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I'll read that again, verse 25, that there, be me- that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. To come to Christ is to join into the body of Christ. Well, I want Jesus, I just don't want his church. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Jesus can't relate to that. Jesus connects himself explicitly to his body when jesus confronts paul paul's been murdering christians he says saul saul why are you persecuting me not why are you persecuting the people who follow me why are you persecuting me because that's what it is to come against jesus's bride is to come against jesus to make yourself an enemy of jesus's church you can't be an enemy of natalie and be best friends with john michael there's not a universe where that scenario is ever going to happen. Yeah, I, mean, I hate your wife, dude, but you and me are cool. Like, we're not actually. Uh, I have news for you. We're no longer, in fact, cool. And, uh, and we cannot be cool until you're cool with Natalie. Well, I never will be. Then you've, your fate is decided with me as well. You, you can't have one without the other. And Jesus loves his bride much more than I love mine. And he, so he comes to Paul in that same way. He is connected. He says, I'm the head, and I'm connected too, and I'm with my body. All of the parts of the body have different roles. And here in in 1 Corinthians 12, the the context that this was written in was 
uh, in description and teaching on the spiritual gifts. So there was, you know, so-and-so's got this gift of prophecy or so-and-so's got this gift of healing. So there was some potentially competition and jealousy going on. Man, I wish I was that. Man, you know, so-and-so's always got a tongue and an interpretation or so-and-so's got this gift of leadership or so-and-so's got this gift of encouragement or whatever it may be. And he's going, hey, hey, hey. You've got your gift, and that's your gift to the body. We receive it with joy. I wish I could hear better. Yeah, but you see so clearly. Man, I wish I could grab stuff. Yeah, but you're the foot that we stand on. Well, I feel like I'm this. I feel like I'm that. And he's just clarifying. The Lord is built and designed. Now, can we grow in our strength of whatever he's called us to be? Absolutely. I describe gifts from God as a sword. He gives you this sword, and now he says, now I want you to sharpen it, and I want you to train with it. So God gives you this gift. He says, now be faithful with it. It's the talent. I, I leave you with one talent. Can you, will you multiply it? Will you be faithful? This is his calling. This is his expectation. But when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the communion of saints, we must see ourselves the way God sees us. This is the revelation I'm praying for, for you and for me, that we would actually see the body of Christ as not somebody I can just leave when I have a problem with. Because we shouldn't do that with our siblings, right? We don't do that with our siblings in most cases. Most of the time, the bond between siblings is deep, and, and, and we take it for granted. We hold that truth to be self-evident, that if my brother calls me, my actual brother were to call me on some mission trip to some obscure Christian-hating country in the world, and I get a phone call at 3 a.m., and he says, hey, I need you to come, then I'm kissing Natalie and the boys goodbye, and I'm on the next flight out. That's it. Why? Because he's my brother. You don't know what's going on. He's my brother. Like, there's a bond there that's just, I don't have to explain anything. I don't have to justify anything. I don't have to prove anything. He's my brother. He's my brother. What do you think I'm going to do? Like, I'm going to go. What if you go die with him? I'll do it joyfully because he's my brother. We have the same father. We have the same mother. Like, it's ob- it seems so obvious. You shouldn't be impressed by this. This is the kind of thing that I would hope most people would feel, that natural affection for their loved ones. That's a good God, God-built-in thing. That's a good thing. However, we see the same thing happen in the body of Christ. When we're baptized into one body, we, we now become responsible for one another. Our fellowship is much deeper than fried chicken once a month. You know, we've cheapened our words, and again, that has consequence. Oh, see you at the fellowship hall. I'll see you here. I'll see you there, rather than to understand the, the koinonia, the rich bond that the Lord has built for us, to actually care for one another. Communion. The communion of the saints is the common union. We have a common union that sends us to all kinds of things. Like we say with our finances all the time, like the scripture says, that's the lowest thing. Of course you should tithe. Step one, like, duh. Of course you, what are you, are you going to be the kind of Christian who goes, I would pour out my life. I would, I'll give my, I'll give my head. I'll, I'll be crucified for Christ. Uh, but no, 10% of my income, that's too far. I value my income above my life. Nobody does. So this is a, a small way to reveal a greater thing, something that's even more important to us. This is why I, I can never accept and you can never accept and never believe the myth that I can be separated from the body of Christ and be happy about it. That would never make sense. There's no scenario. Like if you're on a hiking trail and you see a human hand laying on the side of the trail, you're not going to think, oh, there's a person. Hi. You're not going <laughs> to think he's waving to you. You're going to go, something terribly wrong has happened here. Something terrible has taken place. Why? Because that's not what hands are. Hands aren't supposed to be like that. Hands are, are connected to a body. 
In the same way, the saint who's separate, oh, you know, I tried the church stuff. And what, you, you might try to talk to the hand. What happened? Well, I got slammed in a door. The body slammed me in the car door years ago, and I've never forgiven the body. So I just went off to do my own thing. Like, how many Christians do that, though? One time the body hurt me. Oh, man, I'm sorry. We look, yeah, and I still, I lost that fingernail because of it, too. I'm sorry, and that's not okay. And still, you belong with the body. Still, you've got to walk in forgiveness with the body. Or if we've got some extreme weirdo scenario, like our pastor is abused, then of course reject and leave that kind of nonsense. But that would be non-Christian behavior anyway. But if we're talking about Christians who sin, then welcome to the whole body of Christ. We want to walk in more holiness, but we need you to be a part of that. So we need to point out that there's a difference, before I make it sound like just church attendance, and before we get the wrong idea, that church attendance is all we're talking about. There's a difference between just showing up and being connected to the body. Go to 1 John chapter 3. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Towards the back of your Bible, going to be after First and Second Peter. First John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. How are they going to have fellowship with them? They're writing letters to one another from great distances. What kind of fellowship is John looking for for the person that he's writing this letter to? He's not just saying we're going to have fried chicken. Fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I love First John because he constantly goes back and forth. He's like, Christians don't sin. He's like, but when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. I'm like, because I start, I read First John, I'm like, oh no, I am in, oh, right. I confess my sin. I'm forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And over and over. I write these things to you so, so that you don't sin. But when you sin, here's what to do. So what do we see? He's talking about the fellowship. How do we have fellowship with one another? Because we have fellowship with the Father. We actually care for one another as siblings. And that's the point I started to make earlier about my brother. This is the way that the church has treated each other throughout history. This is the way that the early church treated one another. What I have is yours. Of course I'm going to give you my money. (laughs) I claim that I'll pour out my last drop of blood. That's the claim that I make for you. Of course you know, I'll give you my last drop of blood, but I won't give you the $50 in my wallet when you need it. Well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I've got to make sure. That's nonsense. The communion of saints is a deep and rich bond that has no limitation. It has no end. How far does that go? It doesn't end. Just like my bond with my brother doesn't end. It's not because my brother and I are even best friends and we're talking constantly. Me and him just went like two and a half months before we talked just because we both been busy and we talked the other night and caught up and it was good to hear his voice, but... It doesn't matter how much time goes by. It doesn't matter if there's conflict between us. You think me and my brother have ever gotten in a fight? I just, you get one guess. Only one guess. You think we've ever fought? 
we didn't. We were perfect angels. We got along wonderfully. Mom's not here to tell you the truth. No, we fought savagely. Like, we weren't close enough in age to, to be buddies. We were just on the brink where we had different friend groups, different toys. So, like, we just went to war all the time. Uh, he's three and a half years older than me, four years older than me. So, you know, we fought all the time. I beat him up every single day. But he forgives me. Sometimes he would get me. Sometimes I would get him. But it's not because we get along. This is the misunderstanding that people have too. Like, all right, yeah, I, I like these people in the church, therefore I'll do more stuff for them. No, no, it has nothing to do with how much I like you. It has everything to do with like, you're my brother. You are my sister. So my life is your life. This is what we saw with the saints when they were sacrificing their lives for one another. When people would insert themselves to protect another saint from, from, being, from suffering persecution. This is what we see even when saints would join others. And not just the Roman Colosseum, but in other places too where saints are being fed to the lions. And other Christians would say, I'm not going to let this young man go die alone. I'm not going to go let this young woman die alone. And other Christians would go, go down and join them. Climb out of the stands to go be with others. Why would you do that? You've never even met them. Because well, we have the same father. That's my brother. That's my sister. It doesn't matter if we've ever met. Like, I, I know there's a common union. There's such a deep bond. And you see the same thing with siblings who never met, even with natural affection. Siblings who never met, and they meet late in adulthood. It's like, now, like, you're mine and I'm yours, you know, to the end. Like, we, that bond is established. Even though they don't have a history of growing up and stories and fighting, they don't have to have the history. It's like, we're brothers? Well, that's all I need to know. This is the same thing for the body of Christ, except to a greater degree, where we would say, we have the same father. Like, I'm yours. You're mine. My life is yours now. That's why you can experience rich fellowship. You ever met a believer out in the wild, and your spirits are just, like, unified? And you're not even like, wait, what denomination now? Oh, okay, okay, never mind. You know, maybe, maybe once you get right, maybe once you repent. No, I mean, you can meet a, a, a believer in the Atlanta airport during a layover, and you're like... You can have an awesome two hours, and you're just like, oh, I love you. God bless you. You can pray together. You can encourage one another. Why? Because we belong to each other. For real, actually, truly, and deeply. Our common union doesn't end. There's no limitation to it. In Acts, we see the believers bringing their money. Of course I'll give you my stuff. Of course I'll give you my money, because I'll give you my life. And it's not because we get along. It's not because we don't annoy each other. It's not because we're best friends. It's because we have common union now. You are my brother. God is our father. The saints who did that in Acts, when they did it, they didn't even feel sacrificial. They didn't feel like, oh, look at what I'm giving up. It says they sold their property and possessions with joy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, whoever, whatever needs it. Wow, guys, thank you so much. It's so amazing. You ever, you ever seen a hero do something great and they, they interview the firefighter later, they interview the soldier later, they interview the good Samaritan later, and like, you're such a hero. And it's like, I was just, I was just doing what was, was obvious. I, was doing, I heard gunshots and I knew there was kids in there. I'm not a hero. And, and the rest of us are like, you are though. But heroes never feel like a hero. It's just obvious. It's obvious. I don't feel like a hero if my brother needs me and I go to meet his need. I don't go, I am the best brother. I'm like, I'm a brother. What do you think a brother does? Brother is made for adversity. Saints were made for adversity. And there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus himself and his people and his saints. As a parent, do you feel sacrificial when you provide for your kids? Do you feel amazing? Like, you know, when I feed my boys every day, I'm like, boys, I just want you to know this costs me a lot. 
that, that food that you're eating, that food. I'm not tallying it all up. I'm not going, do I want gratitude from my sons? Of course. I want them to be grateful, not entitled brats. But I don't feel, I don't feel special. I feel like, duh, this is normal parent stuff. When I love my brother, I don't feel like I'm an amazing brother. I feel like that's brother stuff. When the church loves the church deeply and sacrificially, the church doesn't feel sacrificial about it. They go, duh, that's church stuff. This is body of Christ stuff. The hand serves the mouth. The eye serves the whole body. Everything is connected. There's no part of my body that I want to lose. Not my left pinky even. Not my left pinky toe. I'd like to keep him. The whole body is useful. The whole body is important. And the body is committed to serving and caring for one another. Our common union makes us say, my life for yours. Like Jesus, we lay down our lives to the death for one another. This is the stock that we've come from. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did it for us, but we weren't his friends. Greater love has no one than this, he says, than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And what do you call somebody who lays down their life for their enemies? Because that's what Jesus did. You call him king. You call him Lord. You call him good. You call him loving. It's a vision. It's, it's part of the vision of Salt Church that we really would be, that we really would walk in the fullness of what we see in the scriptures. This is part of what we say when we talk about we want to walk in New Testament Christianity. What do you mean by that? Well, we mean a lot. You mean the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. You mean the devotion that the saints had to one another? Absolutely. You mean the hunger that the saints had to actually make disciples in their own life? Absolutely. All of it. New Testament Christianity. First century Christianity. That's our target. But this is one big piece of it. And this is one area that we have to continue to contend for. If you're not growing, if you're, if you're not maturing in this area, then this is a priority for you. Why? Because it's a priority for your church. Why? Because it's an obvious priority from Scripture. I'm not shoehorning any of this in here. The devotion among the saints, the connection, the loyalty, the love for the body of Christ to the body of Christ, don't think this is a new idea. That's the temptation. Man, we're kind of like, like an extreme church. We're not. We're not. So don't compare us to maybe something that you might perceive to be lesser, maybe something that you've experienced that was lesser. Continue to look at the Word of God. Search the Scriptures. See if what I'm saying is, is true and accurate. See if I'm overstating the case. You'll find that I'm not. You'll find that I haven't even come close to, to doing it justice, actually. You'll go, Jamichael, you don't go far enough on that, to which I'd say, you're probably right. But let's keep pursuing it in life. So what does it look like? Well, the Holy Spirit will show you. But that's the point. He will show you. Your obedience in that next step is what matters most. God, bring us revelation. Bring us life. Bring us light. Help us to see how to lay down our lives more for one another. Not to needlessly martyr ourselves, but to be our brother's keeper. To care for one another with devotion. To not just see that our pantry is full, but to see that our hearts are full, that our minds are full. Show each of us as individuals the gifts that you have put in us. That we are responsible and required to give generously to the rest of this body. If it's in us, then there's someone else who needs it outside of us. And you made no mistakes when you designed your church, when you designed your people. You made no mistakes as you've assembled Salt Church. Every saint, every believer who calls on the name of Jesus, they are a part of the universal, global, Catholic body of Christ. And 
in this local church, they are a part of the communion of the saints. God, take us deeper in our communion. Make it deeper than, 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 than fellowship halls and, and meals. Make it my life for your life. Not because we want to look heroic, but because there's something in us that tells us how good and true and right it is. It's a challenge to the flesh. You promised that it would be. So help us to crucify the flesh for the joy set before us, the joy of living the life that is truly life, the joy of taking up our cross, the joy of knowing you more, the fellowship of your sufferings, tasting them, knowing them, and looking and walking more like Jesus. Build your church in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen.